Welcome to the Surrender Podcast. Surrender is a collective of Christian groups and organisations from across Australia. We work in unity to share Jesus' call to seek his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. We create spaces for the sharing of stories that motivate, support and equip people to love their neighbour, share good news and live justly, both locally and globally. Please note, Surrender provides spaces for conversation and storytelling and does not necessarily endorse the personal views of any one presenter. This is Shane Clifton's Bible study entitled Reading the Scriptures Through Disabled Eyes. Shane is Professor of Theology at Alpha Crucis College in Sydney. He is quadriplegic, a quirip theologian, an unhealed Pentecostal, a feminist ally and an open-minded Christian. He usually cringes at representations of disability in the media and in the church. In his Bible study, he creates space to reflect on disability, to explore limitation, vulnerability and dependency, and the creative power that is central to every human life. We are born utterly dependent. At every point in life, we are at risk of illness and a disabling injury, and old age itself is a form of disability. This series of Bible studies invites participants to look at the Bible through the lens of disability. It takes a hard look at the passages in the Hebrew scriptures that seem to alienate the disabled and provides fresh insight into passages of inclusion and liberation. This is part two of his Bible study that gives a unique perspective on the healing ministry of Jesus. Thank you kindly. So uh, yesterday we looked at the Old Testament, and or the Hebrew Bible I should say. It's... Um, you don't want to critique someone's primary Bible as being old, do you? So, um, so and we were looking yesterday at, um, as Rob says, uh, reading the Bible through disabled eyes. This is a Bible study, but I'm a theologian, not a, an exegete, so I won't pretend to do deep and meaningful exegesis for you. Um, I guess I'm taking some more feminist or more reader response. You might say some postmodern types of approaches to reading the text and that's I guess to recognize that we all bring our own experiences to the reading of a text um, you know um, and so it's I guess some of these different types of reading approaches um, instead of pretending that we're reading an objective text they they bring to the surface the fact well we are people with backgrounds with experiences uh, and let's see what those experiences contribute to our reading of the text. So, um, feminists do that in terms of uh, a woman's experience of um, patriarchy, and uh, and we can, I guess, do that um, through the experience of being disabled. And uh, so, what you discover when you uh, read the um, the New Testament through the experience of disability is that it is everywhere. Um, disability is really one of the major themes throughout the whole, uh, certainly throughout the Gospels. So, um, and I, I, I should say just to let you a little bit, I don't want to repeat it for people who, sorry to repeat myself for people who were here yesterday, but just to tell you who I am. So, um, I'm Shane Clifton, I teach theology at Alpha Crucis College, which is a Pentecostal college in Sydney, which is interesting by the way, because today we're looking at healing. Um, and so I had a spinal cord injury, uh, an accident, um, broke my neck. In fact, you can still see the scar from it there. Um, 
in 2010. So that left me a quadriplegic. When people hear the word quadriplegic, by the way, they think uh, Superman, Christopher Reeve, and they imagine um, a person with no movement from the neck down. And, and you think of um, quadriplegics as being sort of completely still and immobile. Um, but my injury is at between the fourth and the fifth vertebrae. Um, so uh, what that means is I've got bicep, I can lift that arm up, but I can't get it to go the other direction. So I don't have wrist or finger movements. Um, but I've had some recovery on this right hand side so I can um, pick up my mobile phone, etc. So uh, that's me. Now, um, I broke my neck and then I was reading the Bible as you sort of do. Um, and I guess, especially when I got to the New Testament, um, I found myself all through the pages and it was sort of exciting, I guess. It felt a bit like I was reading the Bible um, afresh. You know, I've been a Christian for a heck of a long time. Um, I'm 47 years old. And uh, you know how you sort of read the Bible and you think, oh, I've read this before somewhere and it's sort of hard to, to sort of come at it afresh. So, but I was fortunate um, that here was a new way of reading the Bible. So we're going to read through some of, um, some of what I encountered as I was reading it. But let me, um, why don't you open your um, Bibles to Luke chapter 4. And we'll read from, uh, um, we'll start from verse 16. Let me just open in prayer. Father, I thank you for the sending of your son. I thank you uh, for the good news of the gospel which he proclaimed. And I thank you that that good news wasn't just an abstract good news, but it was a practical good news. Uh, we thank you that the message of Jesus, the good news of the kingdom of God, change change the world and changes our world so i pray today that you will give us fresh revelation as i speak uh, about the good news and especially about the good news for um, people with disabilities for people with illnesses for people who are suffering um, and i and i pray for every person here whether they are experiencing those things or know people who are experiencing those challenges we pray uh, for fresh revelation today in jesus name amen so let me read um, Luke uh, chapter 4. And uh, by the way, just to give you, a, I said I wasn't going to do historical context, but I'll give you a little bit. Um, so this is Jesus opening his ministry. He's um, been filled with the power of the Spirit. He's gone out to the desert, um, encountered God, and he comes back. And this is the launch of his ministry. So what you've got here is um, really a summation of all that's going to follow. Um, so he goes, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent, freedom, uh, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. 
And he rolled the scroll up and sat down. Um, sorry, my message is not going to be that short today. Um, so, look, I'm sure, uh, especially at a, a gathering like Surrender, you're familiar with a text like that one. Um, you're familiar with the idea that the church too often has spiritualized these texts. Texts. So, you know, um, we've tended to um, say, well, it's for the spiritually poor or or we, we use blind, for example, as a metaphor. It's for those who can't see. And of course, it is for the spiritually poor and it is for the metaphorically blind. But the message of Jesus was also very concrete. And so the, the blind here, which I think are symbols, uh, are symbols for, um, for all of disabled people, um, especially because for most of human history, um, that, um, that this disability has gone with oppression. So the, the whole text really speaks to uh, the freedom that Jesus' good news offers. And um, so the good news of the kingdom of God is a vision of human flourishing, especially for those on the margins who aren't flourishing. And it's a promise of friendship with God the Father through the Son and the power of the Spirit. And uh, it's a promise for the formation of a new community, especially again from those who've been isolated from that community. And um, the barrier to the flourishing of the poor, the oppressed, and the disabled are the injustices that they face. So Jesus' Jesus's message of the kingdom was an all-out attack on the evils of oppression that had kept people from flourishing. Um, so as I said, Jesus' biographers, there's four of them, um, in recounting this story, disability is a major part of it. And, um, and in many ways, I guess for the first few times that I read it, I felt really sort of empowered by that idea, um, you know, that the gospel was speaking to me, to the lame uh, especially. You know, um, paralysed people form a big part of this text. Um, so, over time though, I started to realise there's a certain difficulty with some of these texts. And um, I'll explain these difficulties later on, but let's just start by having a look at, at a text which speaks to my situation, which is uh, Luke 4. Uh, sorry, I think it's actually Luke 5, 17 to 26. I've got it wrong in my notes, but it's the healing of the paralytic. You've all got there. I'm sure it was only one chapter to skip. So, One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the sick was with Jesus to heal. And, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to think to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? 
But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. All right, so there's a very famous passage. I'm sure you've um, heard this one in the Sunday school. It's a really great Sunday school passage, isn't it? Because, you know, it involves ripping roofs off buildings and um, lowering people uh, in front of Jesus. So it's a powerful, wonderful story. Um, And the, the story obviously is powerful also because it's speaking about the wonders of forgiveness and um and forgiveness you know certainly in context of peace it's the most powerful um dimension of jesus's ministry really um but the text has a few challenges when it comes to disability and uh one of the things that i suggested um to people who were here yesterday is that um, step back from your love of a text for a second and try and read the text um, or, or see what happens when you read the text maybe through a particular experience the experience of what what this text might make you feel like as a paralyzed person or maybe even read it suspiciously which is a bit weird um, I, I quoted a feminist yesterday who said um, warning um, the Bible should the Bible should come with a, a warning could be dangerous for your health and survival because at times the Bible is used as a tool to oppress people to keep people in their place so sometimes it doesn't hurt to just have a look at the text again and say um, is this text in danger of um, of um, oppressing people now I don't think it ultimately is so don't worry but what I'd like you to do now with your neighbor is um, have another look at this text and say, all right, what are some of the potential problems um, in this text for a person who's got a disability? Um, maybe uh, if, if you're a paral, you know, think of being paralyzed as an example. So, all right, have a look at the text and see if you can identify any concerns or challenges. <laughs> Ah, sorry, it was Luke 5, 17, 17, the healing of the paralytic. Just turn around and yeah, join with the group as they discuss it. So Stacy's behind you if you want to. Yeah. 
seen in yeah in Christianity for years it's just amazing because they didn't just do the welcome they then had the response to the welcome and it's amazing Rowan said that said exactly the same thing I had to go to back home to work and I'd be in the state yeah yeah it was amazing I wasn't expecting it. I just thought it would be the welcome. So I hadn't. I've never seen a response before. Have you ever? No. no. So yeah. So what would happen is then a person would stand up and say. So it started with Indigenous people doing the response. They'd say, "I'm from this tribe. Um, I'm so grateful that you've welcomed me to your country. I'll look after it." But then they do. Um, and some they'd say thank you in their own language, and then someone a, a white guy would get up and um, who might have had a heritage back to the first fleet and would um, say you know how sorry they were for uh, the fact that they lived with white privilege. And uh, a seven-year-old woman got up and said, "Look, I've never thought about indigenous issues at all until now, and I'm really sorry for, and I'll take serious." So it was just this wonderful healing and she would often embrace them and yeah so it was quite amazing right here yeah so all right i'll give you our uh, 20 more seconds okay um now before i go on i realized i forgot to introduce kira to you before um um, Kira is doing our Auslan translation, but obviously there's no one here who needs it. Um, well, there might be, but they'd probably be sitting right there. And um, so, um, okay. <laughs> so I, I would encourage you though, um, because, and this is deliberate, obviously, because we're wanting to make spaces that are inclusive for whoever turns up. Um, and you can't just do it when you know someone's going to turn up because then a person can't just turn up. So, but I'd encourage you to enjoy the sign. It's a very beautiful um, language, much more so than um, staring at my mug. So, um, so please do that. But uh, all right. So um, uh, one or two thoughts out of the passage um, that occurred to you. So who's desperate to start us off? No one, you sounded like you were talking, but yeah. We don't hear the voice of the It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. 
So I've, I've, when you hear it preached, you'll often hear it actually preached that uh, it was the faith of the four guys who, um, who, who made the effort to get the person up on the roof and to dig down. Um, it's sort of intriguing, isn't it? The, the, the disabled person uh, disappears as a passive um, participant in the story. Um, we'll, um, I'm not going to do it in this time, but one of the things I um, encourage is a creative rethinking of the passage. Um, and one way in which you might creatively rethink that passage is to make the paralysed man the prime driver of it. So, um, and that could have been the case. You, you don't know, so because we're not told. But um, why not? Why could you not tell the story with four uh, the four people carrying him as reluctant, and and the and the paralysed guys going, "No, I want to go and meet with Jesus," and they're saying, "No, sorry, I can't get you in the door." He goes. There's got to be a way, look, there's stairs up there. If you take me up there, you can get me through the roof. And so you can actually um, envisage the story very differently um, if you make the paralyzed man an active, um, an active agent in the story. So yeah, great, thank you. And by the way, notice just, I've not distorted the text there at all. I've not told an untruth there, but I've retold the story in a way that is very different for the person with the disability, so thank you. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Now, now that's a fundamental problem in the text, um, and this is a fundamental problem for most ancient cultures, um, and you do see hints of this in the Old Testament, certainly in some of the passages we even looked at yesterday. Um, disability seems to be a consequence of curse. I, I think the Hebrew Bible as a whole is pretty good at um, giving a different message there when you look at it overall. Um, Jesus is actually spectacular at this. So um, uh, you, you can read other texts, for example, um, if you look at Luke 13, and we won't turn there now, um, but Jesus has asked an explicit um, theological question as to whether the Galileans murdered by Pontius Pilate were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans and uh, Jesus insists no they're no guilty no guiltier than anyone else so I mean the thing about Jesus is he's an equal opportunity judge and an equal opportunity forgiver um, so um, so I think you re you can read a text like this one you've got to put it next to Jesus' other statement on forgiveness. And then when you do that, you can say he's forgiving the sins of the paralytic. He's treating the paralytic exactly the same as he treats everyone else. Um, so the forgiveness is not a statement he's paralyzed because he's, um, he's sinned. Um, the forgiveness is because this guy is a real agent who makes real decisions and those real decisions include sin. Um, so he's in need of forgiveness. And I think that sort of balancing is important. But the reason this matters, the reason you've got to identify this, is because we still have those same attitudes and judgments today. Um, you know, whole societies are built on this. Um, I don't like picking on America, but I will. Um, because American Christianity doesn't like Obamacare, it doesn't like social justice because um, people... Um, get what they deserve. Work hard and you'll be able to afford health care. If you don't work hard, you won't. 
Um, and there is this implicit behind some of those attitudes, which find their way into Australian politics as well, is um, the idea that the person gets what they deserve. Um, so, um, no grace at all. So, all right, very good, very good. What else? Is there anything else that was a challenge? So, uh, or did you want to say something to that? Okay. Yeah. So the, in a sense, is Jesus' main um, point was about forgiving sins, and he kind of used the healing as a um, as a proof of his authority to forgive sins. Yeah. So, so, so he switched the emphasis for the sake of the, the Pharisees and those around. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. So the emphasis here actually wasn't on the healing, interestingly enough. It was on the forgiveness of sins. So, which is interesting later on. We'll come back to that. But we'll want one more comment, and then we'll move on. I was struck by your comment that this is a good Sunday school story. Really? That is intriguing. Wow. Well, there you go. That's intriguing. Okay, well, there's a challenge for all you preachers out there. Yep. Yeah. That is so good. Did everyone hear that? So the question of accessibility is still so relevant today. What has the guy got to do to get into this church? Um, so you know, I can. Uh, I vividly remember. Um, uh, I I don't attend the church in my local street, so. It was Sunday night, I'd missed church that week, and I thought, I'll go and attend this local church, I won't give you the denomination. So I'm about a kilometre and a half away, and I wheeled my chair down uh, to the church, went in, and as I got there, the front gate was closed, and it's one of those tall gates, well, I can't open that gate. So we waited for someone to turn up, they turned up, opened the gate, in we went, and then, of course, the church had steps, and I couldn't get in anyway. So this was 6.30 at night, I turned around and went back home, so... Um, Fortunately, churches are not, very few churches are that bad anymore. Uh, they might not have disabled toilets. Uh, and inclusion is more than just entry to space, but at least let's get that part right. So thank you. All right, one more, because I've got to move on from this text, but yeah. Um, the person with a disability is used as an object lesson. Yep. <laughs> so they're a problem. Mm. Look, it is actually one of the challenges for the Gospels throughout. Um, disabled people are never named, um, and the, the, dis the disabled is often not the focus of attention. It's Jesus' unique messiahship, um, which is intriguing. I think that says something more to the way the Gospels are written, because they're written to identify who Jesus is. That's what they're about. I doubt that's the way Jesus treated the situation. Um, I think the Gospels talk of, the, of a Jesus who took these people seriously, so, um, but thank you. All right, I'm going to move on. I should say there is one other problem here, and that is that the solution to disability is healing. 
So, um, and that's really where I want to focus some of our attention today. Um, because the Gospels place healing at the heart of Jesus' ministry. And um, certainly for people with permanent disabilities, or at least for me, let me just say for me then, that has been the most substantial difficulty of uh, Jesus' treatment of disability. Consider Jesus' response to John the Baptist in Luke 7, and I'll just read it to you, you don't have to turn there. John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind, so he replied to the messages, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now, I'm almost sure you've read that passage a hundred times and noted its power and wonder. I know that that's the case because that's how I've always read it. Um, suddenly, of course, when I had a disability and when I'd had plenty of prayer, this text actually started to become a bit of a problem to me. Um, so I do want to say it's Jesus' love and compassion for marginalised people, including people with disabilities, that is the standout aspect of his ministry. And it is when you read ancient culture, it is an absolute standout. I mean, in ancient societies, disabled people were props for comedy uh, at feasts. Aristotle writing, you know, considers disabled people less than people. Um, so most of ancient societies had not only prejudicial attitudes, but absolutely prejudicial social systems. So Jesus comes along and completely counterculturally reverses that situation by loving, caring, including embracing people for disabilities. So don't hear me as being against Jesus here. Um, it's just one part of Jesus' ministry that I've had to wrestle with. Um, because Jesus' solution to the problem of disability, at least as it's presented in the gospel, seems to be healing. Um, and I guess, um, I should say, not only for people with physical disabilities, but also, for example, for people with psychological illnesses. So, um, you know, what, what we might today identify as a mental illness was often identified in ancient societies as uh, an evil spirit. So Jesus cast out demons, for example, um, out of people who today we might judge as having epilepsy or another form of a mental illness. Um, so, look, it, it's, I, it, it's sometimes difficult to explain to people why these texts are challenging for people with permanent illnesses and disabilities. Um, so let me see if I can help you by, by firstly identifying one thing and then giving you a couple of examples. And the first thing I explained yesterday, so for those who are here, sorry to repeat myself, but it's what's called the social model of disability. Um, we tend to think of disability as a problem with a person's body, um, so or mind, uh, depending on the nature of the disability. Often, by the way, both our mind and body are 
our mind is part of our body, so you can't really differentiate those things. Um, so, you know, I'm paralyzed. Um, the solution to paralysis is to find a cure. And so you'll see for most of the fundraising, for example, for spinal cord injury, is let's give hope to people with disabilities by finding a cure. Um, but goodness me, if that's where I needed hope, um, I'd be living a pretty hopeless life because, hey, one day they're gonna cure spinal cord injury, no doubt, but it's very unlikely to be effective for my situation in my life. And if it does come about, I've still gotta live the next 20 years um, while we're waiting for that. Um, so there's gotta be other bases for hope. And so the social model of disability um, says that what is disabling um, or, or disability isn't primarily about me and my body, it's about the ways, the various ways in which the society prevents me with my different body from flourishing. Um, and so that is, um, for example, the inability to get into buildings, lack of translation services, um, uh, you know, more than that, it's social systems and structures and attitudes and prejudices. So I'm not going to go into that. We did that in a bit more detail yesterday. Um, but part of the, so the first is called the medical model of disability. The second is the social model of disability. By the way, both of those models have truth. Um, yes, I have medical complications that need to be fixed and repaired as much as they can. And yes, um, part of my exclusion is social. Um, so both of those are important. But the, the tendency for society is to look at the person and think medically, let's fix them. But the tendency for Christians is often to look at the person and think the solution to the problem of pain is healing. Um, and I, I guess, um, let me step out from the first century for a second and um, bring you into the 21st century. And, uh, uh, and let me give you one or two examples of this. So my first experience of this was about a year and a half after I'd had my injury. Um, in fact, I've had lots of experiences of this. I'll be on a train, for example, and um, I can lie my chair back and rest, um, which is great, but people think I look really decrepit when I'm doing that and worried. So I cannot tell you how many people have come up to me and asked me for healing. Um, and I had one guy come up and, um, and ask me for, for healing and I just was really bad that day and I said, and he says, you know, can I offer you prayer for healing? I think Jesus really wants you to heal me. And I said, look, that's fine if you'll allow me to offer prayer for your weight. Um, and then I felt so bad afterwards. Um, so he sort of slunk off and I thought, oops. I need to think a second or two before I talk. Um, maybe that's what it was, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the really obvious times, though, were the healing rallies. So it was a year and a half after um, the conference. I, I attended, I, you know, I teach at a Pentecostal college. So this might be a bigger deal than it is for some of you guys. Um, and we were at a healing rally and they'd brought an American, so it was just a national conference, but they'd brought an American healer out. And so 
the problem with disability is where do you put the people with the chairs? And this building just happened to have tiered space where most of the chairs were, a few chairs around the back, and so the disabled spot was right there. So, um, so here I wheel into the building and then this guy's going on healing and I sort of feel like shrinking into my chair because I am the elephant in the room, I'm telling you, um, when the healers come to town. Well, the funny thing is, of course, that the healers are giving this message, which is straight from the Gospels. If you have faith, you can be healed. Um, so let's believe for healing tonight. But the truth is, not even they really believe it because they're not looking at you. Um, one of the most famous quadriplegics, Joni Erickson Tata, I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard of her, recounts stories of going to the, some of the most famous uh, healers there. Um, and because we'll all, here's the problem, we're always hearing the stories of the healings, aren't we? You're never hearing the stories of Joni Erickson Tata who'll say she'll go to that meeting. There'll be a bunch of uh, wheelchairs and people on crutches at the front who never get to the stage and who leave disappointed. Um, because the fact of human life is um, that disability is permanent. Um, and so, so that's the challenge, all right? Now what I'd like to do is before answering that challenge with respect to the specific texts we've looked at, um, is go and have a look at another text. So what I'm gonna take on here is um, uh, the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus' healing of the hemorrhaging woman. So we're jumping one more chapter ahead. This is in Luke um, chapter 8. And I think we're verse 43, so it's a long, a long passage. Now, I should say first that um, this is often not read as a disability passage because this is a medical problem isn't it this is a woman who's can't stop menstruating but if you take disability as we've defined it as a social problem then this woman was extremely disabled because she was completely unable to enter into the society in which she was a part so her impairment which was bleeding um, had meant that um, she was alienated from the community. So this is a disability, certainly in that day and age, what it, in whatever way we'd understand it today. So, um, all right, let's, uh, let's read it. Um, and Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace. All right, so there's another passage of scripture. Um, what I'd like to do first, and we'll, I don't want you to spend too long on this because I want to do 
some, uh, some other creative things with it. Um, but read this again from the perspective of disability um, and identify some of its challenges. Um, so do that and see how you go. You can identify its positives as well, by the way. It doesn't all have to be negative. Hey Andy. Andy, while I'm thinking of it, Auntie Jean kept telling me, make sure you tell Andy to go and get food. Auntie Jean said to me three or four times, make sure you tell Andy to go down to the lodge and get food. <laughs> She's worried that you don't get enough food, mate. <laughs> 
Tanya Francis. She did actually. Yeah, yeah, she did. All right, everyone, I'll gather your attention again. It is fun reading text this way, isn't it? Um, to sort of not only look for the great message, but to see where the challenges are. Um, so I think you'll find when you do that, ultimately the great message emerges, but you'll, you'll recognise the ambiguity of texts and interpreting texts. So who wants to start us off? Um, the, the floor's open. We'll start with someone who's... Yep, go for it. So I think we were talking about how, as a person, she had to experience a great amount of fear and almost embarrassment in the way yep. that it played out. But Jesus, in doing that, potentially changed the attitude of the whole crowd that was around them, not just healing an individual person's situation. Yeah, I mean, and look... I like what you've done in the second part. You've jumped straight to the solution. Um, with this exercise, hold off on the solution for longer um, so that we can concentrate, firstly, on the, the underlying problem of this text, which is a religion that has treated bleeding as impure. Um, and societies still do. I mean, as women will tell you, one of my favourite... Um, one of, the, one of the great advocacy techniques is to take the label of derision and make it a label of power. So uh, gays and lesbians have used queer. So, um, so queer becomes a label of power. Um, Paralyzed or disabled people have used crip. Cripple, crips is a label of power. Feminists have used words like sluts. One of the more interesting feminist ones is the Blood Sisters, for example, who march. Um, sort of highlighting menstruation as a natural part of life instead of this sort of unclean part of life as a statement of the way in which it's a symbol of all of the different ways of which society has labelled women unclean, impure, you know, and all of those things. So, um, so this is a major problem. I mean, you can see this is such an important disability text when you take seriously that this is not about a physical problem and that's what we do when we read this text more than more often than not it's about Jesus healing a physical problem no the 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 problem here is the un, you know this is a person who had was in fear and trembling to touch Jesus I mean that that's how severe this uh, disability that this social disability had come for her so all right good what else Yeah, and look, uh, this becomes, I think, more of a challenge um, later on for us when we take the whole of the story. How do we understand faith? Um, so I'd actually, we're going to make sure we get to that in detail before we finish up. But it is the real, this is the Pentecostal challenge. Um, faith is um, believing God for your healing. And it seems like that when you read this text, that seems to be what's happened here. She's had, she's had enough faith to believe for the healing. So I think we need to put some thought into that. And I'll just leave that sitting there for a second. But good. What else? Anything else? I've had a power. I've 
thinking about all those people in the crowd that weren't, didn't feel comfortable enough to touch yeah. Jesus because the social implication was so great. Yeah. But I also wondered how many people in there did touch it and maybe weren't healed. Hey, I love that observation. Um, and I think it's the one side of the whole question about, because um, the, the standard Pentecostal response is, um, is there any other Pentecostals in the room? Um, oh, sorry to pick on you. No, it's just me, so I can pick on my own, can't I? Um, yeah, the, the problem for Pentecostals is that Jesus healed everyone. But that's to misunderstand the way um, historical narratives are formed. Um, Jesus' disability was rife in the Old Testament, much more so, sorry, in the New Testament in the first century, um, much more so than today where our social, uh, where our medical systems are, um, are, are well-structured. Go and uh, exist in society, go and visit societies which are, which are poor and struggling and then have a look at the level of disability there which is what CBM is all about, in case you're wondering. So, um, <laughs> take a brochure. Um, so, but the truth is that not everyone was healed um, in the Jesus story. And, um, and it's interesting, healing is part of the New Testament thereafter, but not as much as you might imagine. Um, so, uh, great observation. Anything else? I might keep going, because I'm going to run out of time. Um, so, I guess, as you're hinting here, um, a suspicious reading of the text might question the Gospel account for its focus on healing, rather than highlighting the critique of the purity laws. Um, as presently written, the story has the woman reaching out and touching Jesus, an action seen as shockingly it's shocking precisely because she was impure, but Jesus, at least the way it's written, doesn't seem to address that, maybe at least at first glance. Um, so, one of the, so the feminists will sort of highlight that to get you rethinking about the text, and then one of the things they encourage is a creative rereading of the text. And um, for the sake of time, I'll, um, I'll give you one or two, but I'd be interested for you guys to do a similar exercise yourself. But um, a creative reading I thought of was um, a reimagining of the story that more clearly focused on the heroic efforts of the woman. Now, I actually think this one does, by the way. Um, we taught, it was, was it you who mentioned the passive um, nature of the paralytic man in the other text? This one, the woman isn't passive, is she? So there's something wonderfully active in this woman. And, you know, just to be out in that crowd, she was breaking every religious law. So there's something, sort of, there's a powerful protest in just her doing this. So I really love that about this story. Um, but for me, um, I sort of wished Jesus had have waited on the healing. And instead of just um, having her touch his cloak, he turned around, saw her, and went and gave her a massive hug. I sort of was imagining, I, I thought that welcome uh, to country ceremony was the most beautiful thing I've seen in um, Christianity for years. Um, and of course, it's not Christianity, but there you go. Um, um, and so, um, Auntie hugged people um, at the end, and those hugs were the 
just stunningly beautiful. Uh, you know, people were repenting and apologizing and people who'd heard her people, this wonderful hug. So I was just sort of imagining, oh, if only this story had had Jesus um, go over to that woman and just wrap his arms around her. Um, how much of a potent statement would that have been about you're judging this woman as being impure and here am I supposed to be the, um, the, the person who's never seen the, the, the teacher of God, the one with this close relationship with God and I don't care, she has no impurity, I just love her. Um, so that's one sort of creative reimagining of the story. Um, I, I guess in response to that, I should say having employed these strategies, it should come as no surprise to you that historical exegetes say, actually, the thrust of these stories is that social comment. So go and read N.T. Wright on these stories. And, um, and, and what they will say is the fact that she touched his hem and that he didn't rebuke her but applauded her faith is a statement that she's not unclean. Um, but we just don't see it because we're not in a society that has that same law. Um, and so most, of, so most of the commentators will say actually that's the thrust of all of Jesus' dealing with people with disabilities. Um, and again to highlight the work that Rob's doing, that gets symbolised most potently, doesn't it, in Luke 14. Um, where, and, and this is a case where Jesus doesn't, the solution to the sickness or the disability isn't to heal, but just to welcome. Um, because Luke 14 is the story where the banquet's held and, um, and the people no, who normally go to banquets to laugh at people with disabilities are now, um, they don't come, so we rush out into the streets and gather all the people of disabilities to be the guests rather than the objects of um, derision at the, at the feast. So, so I think the social message of Jesus is actually the fundamental message. Um, so, all right, what does this mean then today for us praying for the sick? Because I think this is, um, is um, what, you know, the question that people ask me. Um, do you want to be prayed for? What do you think of the people who prayed for you? And um, my answer to that is, I was greatly blessed by all of the prayers that I received um, from people who wanted to see me healed. And I wanted to see me healed. So I prayed those prayers and I received those prayers. And those prayers were a wonderful expression of people's love for me. Um, so by all means, pray for the sick. Um, but there came a time where I had to realise, you know what, this disability is permanent. And for me to be living every day looking for a healing that doesn't seem to be coming is not living. It's waiting for a future that well, as far as I'm concerned, isn't likely to come. Now, we can talk about uh, the problem of pain and theodicy. We, we need longer to deal with that. But the truth is, sickness, illness, death is a universal human reality. Um, and Jesus healed people, and a lot of that was identifying his own power. 
uh, his unique mission. Um, we are little Jesuses in some ways with a very small J, but we're not the big J Jesus. We should pray for the sick. Um, we should work for sickness. For example, which is more powerful um, at defeating disability? The healing rally who comes in with a million people and prays for people or the justice work that uh, alleviates poverty and prevents people from getting sick in the first place. One might be more spectacular, the other is more effective. Again, see the motion up the back. Um, I believe that Jesus can heal. Um, a God who creates the heavens and the earth is capable of doing remarkable things. But God never promised Christians or non-Christians escape from being human. And being human involves the process of being born, of growing, of flourishing, and of facing hard times, of being subject to disability, of wearing down. If you're lucky enough, you'll get old and die. That's the cycle of human life. And God's goodness is apparent in all of that, not freeing you from that. And faith, this is where the Pentecostals go wrong. The object of faith is trust in the goodness of God, whatever comes. The object of faith is not physical healing. That's to mistake both the object and the subject of healing. It's to put the power of faith into the person's hands who's doing the praying, who's being prayed for. So, so, um, so I'm supposed to raise up enough faith to believe for my healing. Well, in doing that, I've mistaken the power, which is put it in my own hands, and I've mistaken the object of faith, which is God. Um, so um, in terms of praying for people, I would encourage you, pray as people want you to pray. Don't come up to a person on a train um, and, uh, and interrupt their sleep and pray for their healing. Um, but if the person on the train comes up to you and says, can you pray for my healing? It seems extremely unlikely to me, but if they do, um, by all means, pray for them. And that's the way you should do it at church. But let's moderate our prayers. It's not a lack of faith to say, God, I pray that you'll heal this person. Our desire is for their freedom from sickness. Um, but whatever comes, whether, whether healing or not, um, be with them, help them to know your presence, your strength. That's not a very Pentecostal prayer, um, but I think that's a prayer that reflects a deeper faith. This is one of many conversations recorded live at Surrender 17 Melbourne. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and check out our website surrender.org.au for more resources and opportunities to get involved.